May my God, our Lord, may he bless you all, may he bless us on today's day, as always, as every day that the Lord blesses us, and as every day he awaits that we remember and that we take some time out of the day to praise him, to reflect upon him, to read the Bible and pray just some minutes to give God thanks every day of our life. Just as he is very mindful of us at all moments, and you may be seated, you can get comfortable. And today, we will we will have several topics, about two or three topics in today's chapter in 1 Corinthians that we will be reading. And we'll be changing the topics. We'll speak of one topic and then we'll move on to the next one. And let's remember, these were letters that the Apostle Paul was sending to the churches in that time. And in these letters, he would teach the doctrine. And he would also give certain guidance according to what people were asking and also concerning the problem or issue that was affecting the people in that time. I think that there was a very big, difficult problem due to the fact that Judaism and the Gentiles, they were joining together and becoming one to praise God in one place, in one congregation and temple, to come together to glorify God and to follow the way of the Lord. In that time, it was hard because there was a religion, a foundation of a religion that had been going back thousands of years before, and then our Lord Jesus, without changing anything, but quite the contrary, keeping all of God's will, keeping all of the commandments, and with this new covenant that he agrees to with our God, he continues to teach us. And he continued to reveal through the Holy Spirit, reveal his doctrine up until this day. And that will be the case until the day he returns in the clouds. And there are people, religious people, who say they are Christians, who say they read the Bible, and they're Christians, readers of the Bible. And they put down and do not believe in the spiritual gifts Especially, they do not believe in the gift of prophecy. So, I invite these people to be humble in their hearts. Do not close your minds, close your hearts, but be humble. And if you are reading the Bible, sometimes you even know it by heart. So then, you tell the Lord to reveal things to you, that God manifests himself in your hearts, in your lives, so that you may realize that, yes, it exists. The Holy Spirit exists today. He is the one who guides us, who rules over the church, who is guiding and advising his church. He advises the lives of the human beings who want to follow the path of God. 
So you believe that the spiritual gifts exist. And among those gifts, there is the gift of prophecy. And God has not changed. God doesn't change. God has not run out of power. When you say that that does not exist today, it was only for those in antiquity, it was for those in the past, and that this is no longer what's in style, we are then comparing God as if God were powerless, as if God had limits, as if God has run out of power, and that he only had power in the time of Moses. And that his power, God's power is over, it's done, God's manifestation is over. And so, where is all the words that were spoken through the prophets and the Psalms where God speaks of a future, of a perfect church, a holy church, a church where God would be dwelling in the hearts of each man, each woman? So, where are all those promises then left? They cannot be left forgotten. They cannot be just left written on a piece of paper. God needs to continue to manifest himself. And so... I think it's almost a bit of pride and fanaticism from those people, those who read the Bible, who have dedicated themselves to read the Bible to try and please God, but they're not doing that. It is fanaticism and ignorance and a hardness of heart, stubbornness, all of this is what is in the hearts of these people. This is why God does not manifest himself. This is why God does not give them more. And so humility, modesty is important. And this is why when our Lord Jesus Christ spoke and said, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who are humble, blessed are those who are meek, those who are modest, they are blessed because theirs was the kingdom of heaven, that eternal life, it was for them. And I invite you, all of you, to read the Bible from a different point of view, from the point of view of desiring for God to reveal things to you and show you and for God himself to convince you. And it is not difficult for God to convince someone, to give them a dream or a vision or to speak to them. It is not difficult. But what God wants is humble hearts, modest hearts, sincere hearts that are meek. That's what God wants. And so, my dear brothers and sisters, to all the brothers and sisters in the church and the different places, because I know that in Europe and in some other places, they're still tuning in to us live and a greeting to all of you, all the pastors here in the United States that are congregating each of their churches, a greeting to you all. I always remember you. I'm always thinking about you. My thoughts are always on you from Patagonia and there to Alaska and where the, the ice starts to form up north. I know also there's a, a small group of people who are also congregating in Patagonia and what can we say about Europe and Asia and all of these other countries and places and what can we say also about the islands where we have groups of people who are seeking the Lord. Blessed is the name of our God. A special greeting to everyone with great love with also much sincerity. But before we begin our teaching our sermon in 1 Corinthians, I please ask that you excuse me for going over time perhaps, but we will be singing our hymn to the Lord, the hymn that we sing with our natural musical instrument that God has given us. 
And we're going to sing hymn 232, titled, Will There Be Any Stars? Now, this hymn is founded upon Revelation when it says that God has, in the future, for all those who follow him with sincerity, for those who love him wholeheartedly, he has crowns with stars prepared for us. So this hymn is in, in homage of that wonderful promise. So we're going to sing with all of our heart, Will There Be Any Stars, hymn 232. I am thinking today of that beautiful land I shall reach when the sun go with down. When through wonderful grace by my Savior I stand, will there be any stars in my crown? Will there be any stars, any stars in my crown? When at evening the sun goeth down, when I wake with the blessed in the mansions of rest, will there be any stars in my crown? In the strength of the Lord, let me labor and pray. Let me watch as a winner of souls. That bright stars may be mine in the glorious day, when his praise like the sea below rolls. Will there be any stars, any stars in my crown, when at evening the sun goeth down? When I wake with the blessed in the mansions of rest, will there be any stars in my crown? Oh, what joy it will be when his face I behold, living gems at his feet to lay down. It would sweeten my place in the city of gold, should there be any stars in my crown. Will there be any stars, any stars in my crown when at evening the sun goeth down? When I wake with the blessed in the mansions of rest, will there be any stars in my crown? The glory and the honor is for our God. Thanks be to our God. The honor is always for Him. All generations, Psalm says, will praise the name of the Lord. Generation after generation. Now knowledge grows in science and technology. And there are new fashions and styles change. There are so many things, innovating things that come up in the world. 
but God is the same. For him, time doesn't pass. For him, one day is the same as a thousand years. And so everything passes for us as human beings, but God continues to be the same. And just as he treated people in the beginning when he created man, and all of his manifestation that they lived, those who, those early men of God, the children of God, those great prophets and patriarchs, Moses, Isaac, and Jacob among them, all of them enjoyed God. They enjoyed presence of God. They enjoyed the word of God and the commands of the Lord. God spoke to them, gave them commandments, and they, they did just as how God ordered them to do. And God does not change. He has not changed. He continues to be the same. He continues. The centuries pass, the years pass, and God is the same, speaking to his people, working miracles, delivering and cleansing, healing, hearing prayers, the prayers of those who pray with sincerity. And today, God continues to be the same with his miracles and his manifestation, with his marvelous promises, with his help. That is our God. And there are many people who want to know more. They want to learn, why does evil exist? Why did God create evil? Well, we are not here to question nor to ask because God, what he wants is that we respect him and that we believe in him just as he has shown himself to us. That's it. Let's believe in him alone without any questions, without any without any doubts. Now, I'm sure one day in eternity, God will explain a lot of things to us, a lot of mysteries. But, of course, as we are human beings, while we are here, let us seek Him with all of our heart and all of our soul. With God, we will do great things. With God, we will obtain victory, triumph, and happiness and peace. Without God, people are not happy. And thanks be to the Lord, for he has allowed us to know his ways. Let us open 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. Now, I'm not sure if we'll be able to read the entire chapter, so we'll, we'll see. We'll measure time. We'll calculate the time. Only thing is that there are so many important things and the different time period we're going to be analyzing here in chapter 11 from verse 2 that the Apostle Paul was speaking of the attire, uh, the attire and what they would wear at the time women would wear. And I'm sure he was asked about this. I'm sure that they asked him this question on how, what the attire that the women ought to use when they go to the congregation, because they needed to keep in mind that there were now women, women from the Jewish families who had converted to Christianity, and there were also Jews and there were also the Gentiles, women Gentiles and women Jews. Now, the Gentiles, they were people who would practice religions. They would practice idolatry. They were always idolaters. And they, they a part of their religion 
was they had idolatry and in every city. They had their own laws. They had their own customs. And although they tried to unify in the way that they dressed and certain behaviors in their daily life and also what they would be doing in order to worship their gods so that they would have all this this unity they would try but yet there were still different things in every city and town now when the gospel of our lord arrives when the apostles begin to evangelize and speak about our lord and god they begin to manifest with miracles and signs and wonders and people convert to god because they see this reality they convert and so all of the gentiles convert and jews convert And so we have two different cultures in the way that they live their lives and how they act and behave and how they eat. All of these things, they were very different. And in the gospel of our Lord, what he was going to do was unify. Everyone was going to be together. Everyone was going to be one. Now also in regards to customs and all of these different foods, the Lord wanted to unify it. So this is why he said, you can eat everything that they sell in the, the butcher shops And you can eat it. You don't have to worry about what it is. It's no longer a sin for you to perhaps eat animals that in the past they were said to be unclean and it was forbidden to eat. He now says, you can go to the butcher shop and whatever they sell, eat. And among them, there were a lot of unclean animals. But when the Lord, he made certain uh, prohibitions, what he was doing was initially he was giving them a metaphor, meaning that the unclean animals, they signified the sin that men commit. Sin and the evil of men, that is what those unclean animals meant. And then when man sinned, they were unclean, just as an unclean animal. That's how men and women were. But our Lord Jesus Christ then says, in believing in me, I now cleanse you. I remove all of your impurities. I forgive that. And now your life will be different from here on out. And so no longer are you unclean. And since you're not unclean anymore, well then that prohibition of no longer being able to eat those unclean animals is no longer going to be valid because they're going to be now clean for you. And so it was a bit difficult for the Apostle Paul to give this teaching and to share the doctrine and to say, well, you need to do things this way. The Apostle Paul was very flexible and he had to be very careful because he did not want to maybe garner so many enemies. He had enemies and he knew that they were trying to seek him to kill him, but he said, no, I need to live longer in order to preach everything that God is giving me, everything that he has revealed. So he was very careful and very prudent in certain things, and he was permissive with the Judaic law in a certain way. He would allow the church in the at that time for certain things, and he said, well, with time, the Holy Spirit will teach them. With time, the Holy Spirit will correct them and will guide them in the correct way in which they ought to walk. And so this is why he wasn't worried and he would allow certain practices, Judaic practices in the church and in the congregation. That is what we see in the scriptures of the Apostle Paul. Now, with time, truly, the Holy Spirit is the one who has been cleansing and teaching and perfecting his doctrine. And today, 
We trust and we believe in the Lord, we seek the Lord, and we are here before Him trying to always do God's will, and He teaches us. He teaches us. And just as we have deposited our trust in Him and our heart has been open to Him, well, He is guiding us and advising us on our errors and things that we should not do, the Lord is teaching us. The Holy Spirit is the one who is there and present. Thanks to our God. Thanks to the Lord. And so, in verse number 2, they write to the Apostle Paul and he answers. And he says, Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to know, he says, I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. He says to them, now, we're not sure what they asked, but he says, I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. And it says here, the head of a woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. Or the head of the entire body of Christ. The body of Christ, we know the head is Christ and his body is the believers. So he says, that Christ is the head. In verse number four, every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. So they asked him a question on how they needed to be dressed while they were in the congregation to pray and to prophesy in that time. Now, I don't know about now, but I have seen maybe perhaps a lot of different places. I have seen that men usually cover their heads. They have like a veil or something, maybe a turban. And surely in that time, I'm sure that they asked the apostle if man could pray and prophesy covering his head or if he needed to remove that from his head and remove that turban. We could say turban. I don't know if maybe there's another name for it. And it says, but every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered, meaning without a turban, or with her head uncovered, dishonors her head, for that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. And so, meaning she is walking around with a shaved head that it was seen badly. It was, it was seen as dishonorable. It was seen a little bit shameful, something uncomfortable for the time. Today, men, they're very stubborn. People's stubbornness causes all of these things to no longer be seen as bad or good. People, they like to live according to fashion and style, and if there's a certain style that's, that's, that's current, people want to be seen the same way. People don't think about God. They don't think about doing God's will. But here, we're talking about people who in that time were seeking God, and here in this moment, we are also people who are seeking God as well. And as we're seeking God, we want to please Him in all things. So here we see how this is saying that women, to pray and to prophesy, they needed to have their heads covered. But later on, we're going to see, well, people will say, okay, well, yes, a veil. A veil. 
They have to wear a veil on their face. I know some religions, some Christian religions, that are accustomed, women are accustomed to wearing a veil on their heads. But here we're going to see to what point the apostle teaches us what replaces that veil. And men, of course, he does forbid them to use, to not use a turban, nothing on their heads, that they should not cover their heads, that they should be uncovered, he tells man. Only because this, the apostle is saying that man is the head of the women. That is what this says here. The head of a woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. And, well, we know Christ is the head of, or he's the head of the body of men and women. Now, verse 5. Now, we see here that women, who they, whenever they pray and prophesy, that they should be covered. And if they are not covered, then it's as if they, were, they had a shaved head. Verse number 6. For if a woman is not covered... Let her also be sure. So he says, well, okay, well, if you're not covering yourself, well, then cut your hair. But if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. So he was saying, okay, well, don't do either of those things. But later on, we're going to read for it says, for a man, a man indeed ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God. So it says, man is the image and glory of God. Because God, when he created man, he created a man. As he created a man, God was glorified. The power of God was glorified. And as the power of God was glorified in the moment in which he creates man, this is why, and of course, we know he made him in the image and likeness of him. This is why it says that man should not cover his head because he is the image and glory of God, of that miracle that the Lord performed of having created that man. But he says, but for women, but women, but women is the glory of man. So why is it that she is the glory of man? Well, let's remember. God created man, and he called him Adam. But later on, further ahead, the Lord then says, I'm going to create a help for him and so that he is not alone. And so from his own body, from his ribs, he extracts a rib, and from there he creates woman. So this is why. This is saying that woman is the glory of man. So there was this other miracle, we can call it, where God, from man, he takes a piece of him to create woman out of his ribs. That is the glory of man. So this is why, again, woman is the glory of man. So it is a positive result. A magnificent result, extraordinary result, an occurrence, an, an extraordinary occurrence that the Lord made. So this is why it says woman is the glory of man, because she came from the ribs of a man. We find that in Genesis 1, 26, and later on, you can go ahead and read. In verse number 8, for man is not from women. But woman from man, I repeat this again, 
Man is not from woman because we know man was created by God, speaking of Adam. But women does come from man because we know that from Adam's rib is where he created women. Now, verse number nine, there is some clarification. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. So when God said, I'm going to create this ideal help for him to, for, so that he is not by himself. So for that reason, for him not to be alone, God created woman. Verse number 10, for this reason, for this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol. Therefore, for this reason, because woman came from man, she came from man. Because she came from the ribs of man, God created her. Because of this, for this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head. Because of the angels. Now, I don't know if maybe any of you have discovered what this was and what happened. Because it says, because of the angels. Why does it say because of the angels? What does that mean? It says, for this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head. Because of the angels. Who are the angels? Are they superior to, to human beings? Who are more superior, human beings or the angels? What was man to God? What were human beings to God? What do they signify and mean? Well, here in Hebrews 1, please do not lose your scripture here. Here in Hebrews chapter 1, God is speaking of the angels. Now, in the revelation of the Holy Spirit speaking of the angels, where it says that our Lord Jesus Christ, he was superior, more excellent. He was more excellent because our God, to none of the angels did he ever say, you are my son. Here in verse number five, Hebrews chapter one, verse five, he said, he never said to any of the angels, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. And that was in reference to the Lord's flesh. Him physically, that God himself acquired, that is what he conceived and begot. Because God, from the very beginning, of course, he has been always the same God. And so he says, of the angels, he says, to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, to who? And in verse number seven, and the Lord, referring here to the angels, he says, who makes his angels, meaning God, he makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. Those are the angels. And that is what God says about the angels. While concerning our Lord Jesus Christ, his son, he says, your throne in verse number eight, your throne. Oh, God is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. So he was telling him he was a king, a great person. And this was the son, our Lord Jesus Christ. But he did not speak of these great things of the angels. He only said they were ministers, spirits, a flame of fire. And so we see that human beings, our Lord Jesus Christ and his church, his believers and followers, his children, the children of God, 
They are superior, more excellent than angels, the children of God. Those followers of Christ are more excellent than angels. Now let us look at verse 14, verse 1, verse 14. So what are the angels? Verse 13, but to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? He never said this to any angel. He only said this to his son, Jesus Christ, and his followers. Number verse 14, the followers of the Lord here, are they, the angels, are they not all ministering spirits? The angels, they are ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation. And so, the angels, the believers, the children of God, the church of our Lord Jesus Christ that he is forming with the power of his Holy Spirit and with the spiritual gifts, they, they will be the beneficiaries with the service of the angels because they are those ministers, those who carry out this service to believers, to the children of God. And I'm speaking here of the children of God. Let's remember the children of God do not sin. The children of God do not commit sin. That is what 1 John says. So, these angels, they are ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation. Therefore, believing men and women, let's go to 1 Corinthians, believing men, believing women in Christ Jesus, who are true children, sons and daughters of God, they will be served and ministered by the angels. So this is why in this verse, it says that woman, the believer, that daughter of God, she ought to have a sign of authority, a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. And so I have this hair here, and the angels, I'm sure they see my hair, And they know that they're going to minister for me. They have to serve me because I, in a certain way, I have authority over them. I am more excellent than they, than they are because we belong to the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because he is the church. He is the son who God the Father made all the promises to. The marvelous promises that were made to the Lord and his children, and his children are the believers, the followers, men and women. So here we understand this verse 10. So you should no longer be confused ever again. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head. So he did not demand this symbol of authority for man because we know that man was the glory of God because God created him in his likeness and image. But women, as woman comes from man because she was made from the ribs of a man, well, then she did need to have a symbol of authority over the angels because the angels, God uses them to be those ministers in his church to minister for his believers, his children. God uses them for that. But this does not mean that we have to honor them and revere angels. So you see quite the opposite. It says women, men and women, they are more excellent than angels. The angels, they are ministers. They serve. 
They are those who, well, people sometimes say in certain countries, people say, "My servant." They say, "My servant," or "My slave" in some other places, or "My employee." That's it. So this is why we say we are servants of God. Servants, we serve God. Servants. Servants or slaves or employees, whatever you want to use, whatever term you want to use in order for it to sound elegant and so that no one is offended by it. But of course, we are realistic. We're not offended. We're realistic. We are the Lord's servants. And so here it says that the angels—they are our servants. They minister to us, and it's not that I'm going to tell the angel and I'm going to kneel down and ask the angel and such and such angel here because the angel mentioned. I'm sorry, the Bible mentions a series of angels and mentions uh, an angel named Gabriel, another one named Michael, an archangel, a cherubim. It mentions cherubims who were serving, and we find in Revelation how the angels—they were those servants who God would send to different places. To carry out their functions and their the, their tasks that needed to be done, but it's not that we human beings should ever go and honor and praise them. But on the contrary, if God sends an angel to come serve me, well, then this angel needs to be subjected to serve me. So God will tell them, okay, well, you need to go and protect that person. Do not allow the devil to come harm them or hurt them. Do not allow that. So we don't really know how the Lord sends the angels to serve and minister for His children. But we will never tell the Lord, Lord, please send your angel to me. No, no. That's like a father of a household who has a lot of different servants. They have maybe ten people that that are are employees and servants, and then the children of 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 that father, and then kneel down before and say, "Oh, please help me to that servant." No, that father knows and says, "What your duty is is to protect them. Go serve my children. Help them. Help them and aid them." So we, if we are the children of God, we don't need to ask an angel for help and say, "Oh, angel, please help me. Please protect me. Please come, angel. Please come to my help and aid." No, we would say it's God because He is our Father. Father, do not allow the enemy to come place traps and cause me to fall. No, help me, protect me, help me in these moments in which I, I'm facing tribulation and danger. So God will know. God will know if He will work Himself directly, or if He will send an angel. Maybe that angel will be dressed as an officer or a nurse or doctor, disguised as an official. We don't know. Disguised as、uh, an owner of a business or someone in the supermarket. Whatever it is, God can disguise this angel to appear and come to our help to serve us. And so, I hope it's clear. We have no need to pray or to give any praise to angels. Be very careful with that. They are servants. They are servants. That is their duty. That is their duty. And so, my duty is to honor God, serve the Lord, and these beings they will help the children of God.
So this is why the Lord said to man, well, as he was created in the image of God, he did not need to cover his head, but women did because of the angels so that she would have that symbol of authority. And so the angels then will see and will know. And so the Lord, he established these rules knowing, the Lord knowing that he really had no need for this. But God wanted it this way to test the faith of people and the trust of people and to see to what point people maybe will even twist the Lord's path. And many people have twisted the Lord's path by praising and honoring angels, praying to them, and they almost view them as gods. And so be very careful with this. But here I hope it is very clear concerning women. And here in verse number 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Nevertheless, now, it says that women should have, of course, that symbol of authority because of the angels, but in the Lord, in the life, in our life in the Lord, it says, neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man in the Lord, meaning the Lord loves them both, needs them both, wants them both, saves them both. They are both the same to God. One is not greater than the other, and in the spiritual sense, God uses men and women alike as he wants. But in the Lord, it says, neither is man independent of women nor, nor women independent of man in the Lord. Verse 12, for as women came from man, let's remember that again, she comes from man because she was taken out of the ribs of a man. It says, even so, man also comes through women. So even man so also comes through women because from there on out, we know that men would be born from women. And so, but all things are from God. So again, going back, neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man, so they are both important to God. For as women came from man, even so man also comes through women, but all things are from God. Verse 13, judge among yourselves. Is it proper? Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? This is a question. Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man, now it says here, nature itself teaches that it is dishonorable to let your a man for him to have long hair? So it says, is it not Again, reading here, that if a man has long hair, is it, it is a dishonor to him. But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her. For now, going back to the previous scriptures, we know that for women, it is a dishonor for her head to be shaved. And for men here, it is a dishonor for him to have his hair long. Now, in verse number 15, but if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her. For her hair is given to her for a covering. So rather than having a veil or something to cover her with, well, thanks, we give thanks because women, I say, we're no longer a slave to putting anything on our heads, to have a veil upon our heads every day, 24 hours a day or 12 hours a day. So thanks to our hair, to let our hair grow long. It is used as something to cover us. It's, you know, rather than having a veil, because wearing a veil is slavery. Now, verse 15, but if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. Verse 16, but with everything that we've taught, but if anyone seems to be contentious, meaning stubborn, rebellious, doesn't want to accept and submit themselves to this, well, then don't do it. 
Don't do it, but we, the believers, we will submit ourselves to God's will, is what he says. That the children of God, they subject themselves to God's will, they submit, and they do all things. But thanks to the Lord, and please, women, I have seen women in some Christian churches who read the Bible, and I've seen them with a veil. Please, don't do that. Don't enslave yourselves. It is better to have a clean, pure heart before God. You must have a clean heart before God. That you are not doing these things that are misinterpreted because this is misinterpreting the word, the Bible. You're giving it a false interpretation. And aside from that, well, today, as so many years have passed, and food no longer even has the vitamins it used to, and human beings, they are deficient in a lot of different nutrition and vitamins. Everything is deteriorated. There are people who don't have hair. Their hair falls out. There's, there's a lot of people whose hair falls out because they've become too stressed. They have problems. They have hardships. They are lacking vitamins. They've gotten sick, and so they, they don't have hair. For example, cancer. Cancer, it completely makes your hair fall out. Women, men, they have to shave their heads or they look like they've shaven their heads. And so people will think, oh, are you disrespecting the Lord? Are you sinning? No, no, we won't exaggerate. We won't be fanatics. No, these are things that happen. You are bald now because of the sickness. Don't worry about it. But you do feel maybe a little bit embarrassed to go out that way. You yourself feel bad. So what do you do? You use a wig, right? You wear fake hair. You use that because you feel bad. You feel bad going out like that. And some countries, some cities, and, and this is not everywhere, there are some places where people do like to shave their heads and like to go out that way. They have no shame about it. And there are other places where people like to have long hair. But the important thing here is that we have a pure heart before God, that we please the Lord and God will teach us. God tells us things are like this. Do not be an extremist because, of course, we should never reach any type of extreme because when we are extremists, then what we become is fanatics. That's fanaticism. Everything should be normal and natural. If you have your hair, great. If it's fallen out, well, it's not your fault that it has fallen out. That's not your fault. And so, oh, now you're bald and you have no money to buy a wig. Okay, well, then you wear a hat or because you feel bad. It's not because religion is telling you, but because you yourself, you feel bad to go out without your hair. And so you wear maybe a hat. That's what people do. Let's be normal. Let's be normal. Let's be realistic. Let's not be fanatics. Let's not exaggerate things. Now, I just, I'm just imagining all of the emails I'm going to get from this. And then my, they're going to say, oh, my husband, he was so stern with me and he, he pulled my hair and now I'm sitting before God because I, I'm bald. So what do I do? No. And people sometimes understand things wrong and so please do not twist things do not misinterpret it, misinterpret this the bible does not say to what length you should have your hair because i'm sure people will also ask well how long should women have their hair should it be up to your ears to your neck to your shoulders to your waist where this is all preference it is your preference now youth 
I know people, they have their hair up to their, to their waist because they're young. They have all their vitamins. They have great energy. And so their hair grows. With age, with time, everything, everything comes to an end. Everything it, it, it comes to a, a, an end and it finishes because as they get older, their hair doesn't grow as long anymore because they're deficient in vitamins and the very little hair that they have starts to fall out. So don't worry. We're not going to lose eternal life here because of our hair. We're not going to, to lose eternal life because of this matter. There are far greater things to do and to fulfill before God. And so you, with your shaved head or without shaved head, you need to please God. You cannot sin so that you can attain eternal life. And wisdom, of course, here before all things. Wisdom is the principal thing. Now we move on to another topic, which is very uh, sensitive, which is abusing the supper of the Lord. Now let's forget about women and her hair. Let's forget about that. And now we're going to move on to verse number 17. And I don't think we're going to have enough time, but here the Apostle Paul, they write to him and they say, now in giving these instructions, now what continues on here, he says, now I'm giving you these instructions. I've already explained to you about women and their attire. Now you're asking in continuation, I'm not going to praise you for this because you come together. You come together not for the better, but for the worse. You come together and you congregate as a church for the worse. Speaking of the supper of the Lord. Now, this is saying, we'll read here in verse 23. Let's go to verse 23 and then we'll go back to verse 17. Verse 23, the Apostle Paul says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. Let's remember, our Lord Jesus Christ celebrated the Passover before he died. He celebrated the Passover and told the apostles, he said, this is the last Passover that's going to be celebrated. This is the last time I will eat with you and I will drink with you. And it's the last time because he, will, he was going to then be sacrificed. He said, everything else, I will take the bread and the wine. But when I now return from, from my glory, when I return in glory, when he resurrects, he is now glorious. So men and women, believers, they would now have fellowship with the Lord. And what does it mean to have fellowship with God? It means to have God in the heart, not to sin, to do the, the will of God. And so the Lord begins to then manifest in the life of this man and woman. And God is with them, teaching them, guiding them, advising them, protecting them, blessing them. That is having fellowship with God. Fellowship with God is constant. It's every day, every day of our life. So it says that the Lord, he, in verse 24, he had given thanks. He broke it and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper. Let's keep in mind that first they had their supper. They had that Passover supper. Let's remember the Passover supper was a complete lamb with bread and different herbs and unleavened bread. That was the supper. And later they would have the wine at the end. So after their supper, they said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So he was telling the apostles, do these things. Do these things because I'm leaving, but I'm coming back. And he, and he told them to do it, but it was not an obligation. It was not a commandment. But it was something he told them to do in his remembrance. But it was a, it was not an obligation to do it. Nevertheless, what happens? Well, all of the apostles after the Lord, when the Lord ascended into the heavens, they began to celebrate the supper and they would have great banquets of food. The supper was not just that they would have people. Now we know that people have invented things, of course, because they're trying to make things easy and because of time and to cut costs and for many other things. Christians, readers of the Bible, they have made up that a piece of bread here, a little piece of bread, I don't know how many grams of it it is, maybe 10 grams of bread, and a sip of wine, and that's the supper. Well, no, that's not the Lord's Supper. That's not the supper. The supper, we know, was a food. It was a meal. And what they intended to do with this meal, it was the, the lamb we know, and it was the unleavened bread, that was the supper. After they had their supper, he told them to drink of that cup and to eat that bread and to do these things. Now, there was an interpretation in verse 17. Now, we'll go back. The apostle says, Now, in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it, for there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you, so that those who truly are children of God, you will see who they are in these divisions. Now verse 20, Therefore, when you come together in one place, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. So what was it that they were doing? All of the churches, the Christian churches after our Lord Jesus Christ, what did they begin to do concerning the Lord's Supper? It says, verse 20, For when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others. And one is hungry, and another is drunk. And so, what do you understand from this? What do you think this supper was? If it says that there were some who were very hungry, what does that mean? It means that they were eating too much. And if it says that there was another who was drunk, what does that mean? Well, that meant that the supper was not just having that little piece of bread. And please excuse me kind of creating this image here, but this little piece of bread and the sip of wine, which is, pe which is what people are accustomed to doing in different congregations in order to obey the Lord with the, the, the last Holy Supper. But that's incorrect. It's not normal. And so this here is saying that one person was very hungry and would eat a lot. They were eating too much. Now I can just imagine they would eat so much that they had to go and throw up. And the other was drunk because they were drinking and drinking and drinking until the point that they got drunk. Now do you think that's going to please God that people do these physical, literal, material things? You think that's going to please God when God is spirit? God is spirit. He doesn't need food, the physical things, physical drinks. 
What he needs is a heart. Hearts of men and women. Hearts that do not sin. Because sinning, you, when you sin, you offend your neighbor and you offend God. Because these are God's commandments that he left behind. And we need to have a clean heart. Clean our consciences from grudges, envy, from usury, from covetousness, from pride, from vengeance. Free our hearts from that. That is what God wants. He is not so much interested in that we gather together and have a huge plate of food or that we have a little bit of something to drink. No, the Lord wants our life, how it is before him. And so the Lord placed this and said, well, if you want to do it, well, then do it in my remembrance, in remembrance of me. But what is the requirement? Let's go to the requirements. And so another is drunk, verse 22, what? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? So he says, you have your home to eat and drink. So why do you need to go to the church, to the congregation, to go have the banquet and get drunk and eat too much? He says, or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. So he says, you're doing things badly. Verse 27 the apostle tells them what needs to be done. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. So he is saying, you go, you congregate, and you say that you're having the Lord's Supper, and some are eating too much, others are getting drunk. So what can happen? A person who gets drunk sometimes becomes crazy, doesn't know what they're saying, and so God is not pleased with that. The Spirit of God will not be there in that gathering at any moment, not at all. In no way can the Spirit of God be there. So this is why it says whoever eats or drinks this cup is unworthy in an unworthy manner, meaning this person is failing God. Well, it's of no use of you to celebrate that Holy Supper. It's of no use. It says, you will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Verse 28, but let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So examine yourself. Be in good standing before the Lord's eyes. Be in perfection. Be in perfection before God, and so then celebrate that Holy Supper, but not in the way that Christian traditions have invented nor in the way in which those early Christians were doing it. I'm not in agreement with either of the two ways of celebrating the Supper, the Lord's Supper. But what I do agree with is living a holy, upright life before God. That is the most important thing. And aside from that, this was not a commandment. Only that the Lord said, if you want to do these things, you can do it. But I don't see here, I don't see any spirituality here in this. Because if you're going to celebrate the supper, someone will say, okay, well, let it be half a piece of bread. Eat half a piece of bread and a, and a big cup of wine. But what, what is that for? Everyone would then come to, to have that half piece of bread and cup of, of wine. Everyone will then run to the church to do these things. But they really haven't discerned and examined their spiritual life to see how it is before the Lord. So whoever, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the blood, body of the guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. 
And again, for he who, verse 29, for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And so if you come to the supper, you're just pretending those who are sinning are, are, are just pretending. And, and if you do come to the supper, how will you truly know if someone is sinning or not? If you say, okay, well, you're, you're okay. I think you're fine. I think you're living a righteous life before God. You can do it. You can't. So then, I am discriminating people in a sense. So that I'm, I'm separating people. And what do I do? And I, I say, no. Okay, well, everyone who is upright can step forward to receive the supper. Those who feel that they are not in, in, in well standing with the Lord, then don't step forward. So then what happens? Those who are not in good standing before the Lord will step forward either way because they will feel embarrassed. They will feel like everyone will think that they're not in good standing before the Lord's eyes. So they step forward just pretending. So everyone comes forth. And what? There was expenses. There was time spent. Churches where there's 2,000, 3,000 believers. It's completely outside of anyone's control when you do something like this with that supper. Even if it is with a little piece of bread and with that Christian invention of having a sip of wine. Either way, this is still an expense, it's an obstacle, it's a problem, and no one really is doing anything pleasing before God because half of the people, they are not living a righteous life before the Lord. And so how can we say, okay, those who are living a righteous life, step forward, and those who aren't, don't? You can't do it. So it can't be for either people. Each one in their conscience, each one at home, if you have... A home in which your family, your husband and wife, your children, you're all fearful of God, children of God, believers in the Lord, and you desire to celebrate it, well then celebrate it. Celebrate it, but be very careful with your conscience, because you don't know how your your children are living their lives, or how or how the heart of your wife is, or you wife, you don't know truly the heart of your husband. He's pretending to be in the church, and maybe he has some hidden sins. So be very careful. Now, what can I say? I would do it alone because it's my conscience. It's my conscience and God. Because how can I pretend before other people what I'm, what I'm not and what I don't have? And how could I discriminate people? So it's difficult. So this is why. Why am I teaching this? Because there were some people who have come to the church from other denominations and they, they say, well, you don't do the Holy Supper. You don't do the Holy Supper. They complain. And, well, I don't want to harm people. I don't want to harm people because if you're bringing up this topic of the Holy Supper, if you want to do it, you're going to add a sin to your life. And God is going to take many blessings away from you. God wants you to be a perfect man, a perfect woman. And when someone believes themselves to be that, well, then do it before the Lord. You can do it alone before God. And so this is the teaching. And so here the apostle, I once again reread here. Now we're running out of time, but here in verse 28. Or we'll read from 27 so that we remember this well. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Meaning unworthy manner here, it means you're sinning. Verse 30, For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. 
It says, and many sleep. Now this is spiritually, they sleep and they have died because of their sins. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Because we would be sincere. We would be righteous and practical. And why would I go and have that holy supper? No. I'll, I'll just... A person who is sincere would do these things. Verse 32. But when we are judged, we are chastened, chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. So he is telling them, when you do gather and come together to eat, well, then wait for one another. And if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment lest you come together for judgment and the rest I will set in order when I come. So how sad. The apostle, he had to hold back and giving more instructions because he said he was going to go personally to teach them. But here, brothers and sisters, after the apostle says, when you are children of God, when you truly feel that you are living righteously before God, well, then you can do all of these things, but with wisdom, with wisdom, very wisely. Now, we, we know, of course, foods, drinks, the material things, God is not interested in those things. God is not something physical. God is not about foods and drinks. The Lord is a spiritual drink. He demands from us to have a spiritual life, a righteous life, a life in which I have no hatred or, or harm anyone. A man in a home and a marriage among their spouse, when a man is unfaithful to his woman, he is hurting his neighbor. He is causing her to suffer. So she suffers, she cries, and she shares with her family, with her brothers, sisters, parents, friends, and says, look, I'm facing this situation, and everyone suffers because of it. Everyone begins to suffer. That's what it means to harm your neighbor. You harm your neighbor by doing that with a sin, any sin, it hurts your neighbor. If it's a sin of theft, if someone is at home and then someone comes and steals, for example, they had a watch, a very, very luxurious watch, and it was bought with so much effort, and someone comes and steals that watch, takes it away. They have harmed their neighbor because that person, the owner of that watch, is going to be hurt and says, and will say, well, with so much sacrifice, I bought it. I saved up for it. I worked hard to have it. And now I don't have it. I can't save more money to buy a new one. I can't enjoy the watch that I had. So they're harming that person. They're harming their neighbor. That's it. Sins, any sin, whatever it is, it hurts your neighbor. If it is a sin of wrath, like what we normally call maybe bad temper and anger, if it's that kind of sin, well, it hurts your neighbor. Why? Because it hurts that other person. It offends that person. It makes them feel uncomfortable. So that's it. That's it. We need to try and analyze and what it means to not hurt your neighbor. We need to fulfill and keep the commandments. It says, love God and love your neighbor. Do not offend God. Do not offend your neighbor. Do not sin because with those sins, you are 
hurting your neighbor, and first and foremost, you hurt God. So analyze. All sins hurt your neighbor. There are sins that go even against that person's own body. Those who do such things, those who fornicate, well, they're hurting their own body. But nevertheless, he who fornicates did it with someone and also harmed that other person. He sinned against his own body, but also harmed the other person in, in that sense. And so as we see, brothers and sisters and the people who are listening, those who are joining for the first time or who are newcomers, let's understand and be realistic. Let's be sincere. And let's believe the Lord. Let's believe God and desire with all of our heart to understand the ways of God and to follow his ways so that God may bless us and give us joy and peace in this world so that he may provide us with what we need. And then one day we will have eternal life. And how beautiful it is to read the Bible. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. Pray and ask God to help you, to teach you, and to reveal things to you, to guide you. And we give the Lord thanks today for having allowed us to speak things this way, maybe crudely, but we need to do it because we need to learn the honor and the glory before our God. Let's pray. Oh, blessed God, Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for this privilege we have to be before your presence for the privilege that you have given us to know you, to know your ways. Thank you, Lord, because we are people among millions and millions of people in the world. And among all those millions, Lord, you have set your sights on us. You have looked upon us. You've chosen us. You've made a calling. And what did we do? What did we do to deserve such a beautiful reward? We did nothing. We were ignorant. We lived in complete ignorance of not knowing you or your ways. We had been taught other religions, but we had never experienced your presence, nor your mercy or love. We had not experienced your marvels, wonders, and manifestation as we are now experiencing it throughout these 50 years, more than 50 years. And we've experienced to exist that you're a real powerful God, that there are many mysteries written in the Bible that we don't understand. And one day we will comprehend, but nevertheless we continue forward with joy and happiness. Thank you, Lord, for having looked upon us with eyes of mercy. Thank you, Lord, because we are before your presence. And, and look at how many people are standing before you in this moment. There are thousands of people, thousands of people who stand before your presence because they, they esteem and they want to follow you and they esteem to be chosen to be called by you and they wait on you they trust in you and look lord so many are calling out to you praying for mercy praying for healing for their families husbands and wives brothers and sisters children 
many parents who are ill, many that are in hospitals, in a state of a coma, many that are sick, and many who have died, and their families have been left with sorrow. Give them strength. And those who are ill with this virus, I pray that you stretch out your hand and that you restore them, that you heal them, that you give them another opportunity in life. Give them an opportunity to live so that they may react and may examine their conscience and may be able to set their life in order before you. Lord, give them another opportunity. Hear their prayer, the prayer of those that are afflicted and sad. And thank you, Lord. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for listening to us. Thank you, Eternal God, Creator of the heavens and earth, our Creator, our Father. Blessed and praised is your name. For all eternity, we praise you, Lord. We give you the honor and glory in the glorious name of Jesus Christ, your beloved Son. Thank you. Hallelujah. May the Lord bless you greatly, brothers and sisters. And please excuse me for going over time. And may you continue with the service there who are gathered together live in the churches in the United States. Please continue with the testimonies. And then you will later share with me all the wonders God works with you. Thank you very much to those who are joining for the first time. I invite you to go to the churches that are now reopened. Go so that you may receive laying on of hands and receive prophecy and for God to comfort you and give you joy. Thank you to you all. Kisses to the children and a big hug to you all. Thank you. God bless you.